You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, lads, how's it going? Giaguit, Kodasatatu, Akara. Tom A. Akara, Akara, Akara. Who's Car- speaking uh, Elvish in in recognition of the new fairy tale theme set? Oh, that, that, that is correct. Does Irish count as Elvish? Is it the closest language to Elvish? I'm not sure. Didn't Tolkien just just basically like make the alphabet for Elvish, but not actually the rest of the language? Isn't it basically just transliterated from another language, or does it have its own grammar and stuff? I thought he just made the alphabet. I think it has its own grammar. I, th- I think he just made the alphabet for Dwarvish. Or dwarfish. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. well, I, we're speaking dwarfish then, because that also works for this set. Sure, yeah. I'm fairly sure that all of the elfish language in uh, in Lord of the Rings works, and it's it, pretty sure it's made from Welsh and other Gaelic languages, so I guess Irish is pretty close. Sweet. Carrot means friend in Irish, but Melon is friend in Elvish. My <laughs> Elvish accent isn't great, though. Melon. You big melon. 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 I love you, you big melon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you sound like you're speaking <laughs> What's that? French. sound like you're speaking French. Melon. Um, yeah, I told, I don't know, people are asking, oh, any holidays coming up? And I'm saying, oh, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to Lyon in France for, a, for you know, the magic tournament. They mean, uh, don't you mean Lyon? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I, I said Lyon, like the Resident Evil character's name. <laughs> so now when people ask me, uh, I, I really emphasize uh, Lyon, Lyon, uh, when I tell people where I'm going. A lot of tickets. It was extremely embarrassing when I was in Cannes for a Street Fighter tournament before years ago. And uh, so many of the Irish lads just refused to say that and would just call it Cannes the whole weekend to French <laughs> people. And it was it was just so embarrassing. That's much worse. But that's also, that's really that, that's also quite funny, though, because Cannes. Yeah, true. I also had an experience referring to a French town by the wrong pronunciation. Uh, So it looks like we've all had that experience. My one was uh, Nantes, which I called Nantes. (laughs) Nantes in Bruno. Cheeky Nantes with the lads. Cheeky Nantes with a bag of cans, the lads. And Leon. Leon and a bag of cans and a cheeky Nantes. Um, uh, rock band cover album <laughs> we cover got name. It's also the name of this episode. <laughs> Love it. Maybe not. Uh, okay. I mean, there's no magic news, so yeah, well, let's talk about French names for a while. That is so true. There is no magic news. What's going on? Uh, standard continues to evolve uh, as we go into week zero, which is uh, which is you know, obviously interesting to talk about that. Yeah, it feels like it feels like the standard standard format has been out for about three months. Yeah, it's, it just seems like probably the best deck from last season is still just the best deck, even though they lost a few cards. The the Golos Ramp deck with Field of the Dead. So there's especially with like Field of Ruin rotating and some other cards, you know, rotating that you, that allowed you to play against Field of the Dead. It just seems like the format has just ended up in kind of an awkward place where it's really hard to fight that strategy. Like the the aggro decks aren't aggro enough. The mid-range decks just get crushed by it, obviously. 
and control doesn't really have great options to deal with it either. So it seems like we're at a place right now where it's kind of just, you know, you, if you can't beat them, join them with regards to making two, two zombies. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And uh, I, I think it's kind of it's something I wish I kind of said last week when, you know, you can tell when the format gets its way, when you can see the best deck starting start to put in some very strange cards just for the sole purpose of, you know, you know, beating the mirror and you're kind of seeing cards that would never see play otherwise. So yeah, a lot of these uh, people in that deck now are playing Agent of Treachery. Which is yeah, very good. Mirror your, you know, open your zombie count by, you're doubling your zombie count and cutting your opponent's zombie zombie count in half. Yeah, people are playing that in the main deck. To be clear, they're happily yes. Hydroid Crisis because Hydroid Crisis isn't even that good in the in the Golos deck. To be honest, you just play it because it's a decent value creature. But like, it's not like other you know Simic mid range decks where you want you definitely want all four. People just started realizing, oh, I can probably just play two Crisis, you know, because you want to play one on turn four or five to bridge the gap to the late game. And then after that, I don't really care what I'm casting because I'm just making a shitload of zombies every turn anyway. So it's kind of irrelevant what magic cards I'm actually playing. So yeah, yeah. Agent of Treachery just cuts down on your opponent's ability to do that and increases your ability to do it, as you said. Yeah. And the ability so to the ability to cast Agent of Treachery again when you have Teferi in your deck is also pretty insane. Yeah, it is. The game, like, I mean, if you get to that point, you've probably already won anyway, to be honest. But yeah, it's a nice way to just put put the, the closer on the game type of thing yeah yeah definitely. just to slightly go back to that talk about the uh, last season's best deck i i think i don't know if golos could be called last season's best deck it's it certainly got to that point uh at one stage however i feel like the the kethis deck coming out of nowhere at the at the late stages of the format i feel like it basically just could never ever beat kethis it was just a massive dog in the matchup but got it, it the field of the dead deck was still very good. I guess it could be Kethis by with the, the you know the combo kill, the scape shift. But people were removing the scape shift even by the end of the format. So yeah, it, it it did seem like a natural place to start this format, and it has really proven itself as the top end to beat. Um, and just the fact that you can reliably activate Golos as well is insane. You can just play all the colors in your deck, and then that enables you to have access to some off-color sideboard cards you don't want to depend on it too much generally probably wouldn't put any red cards in there but uh you can have a couple of black cards maybe so it's it's a crazy thing and yeah we're, we're already seeing you know it's it's literally the first weekend of the format that the the seg tournament which is usually the the herald of the format and what sets the 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 first stages for the metagame is now almost feels like a late stage tournament right and we're seeing all these people adapting to the the mirror um with like we said uh main deck agent of treacheries uh stuff like ashiok and the sideboard that we saw again last last time uh all sorts of weird stuff fey wishes it's making is making its way into lots of decks yeah i really like fey wishes um in you know just as a way of giving yourself access to your sideboard um but i think the yeah the, the very very strong combo that fey wishes has is uh, you know, just go getting Jace when you're in a long mirror. Again, it's, it's also like more mirror tech. More mirror tech that's in your main board um, or your wish board as well. Uh, yeah, you know, if, you're, if the game's going long, you just pay wishes for Jace, um, play it, and then you know, tap it for big races and then win the game. Yeah, I do feel uh, like so. this is um, this is a uh, maybe a point where aggro can maybe start getting in again because something I've noticed is people are now put, uh, cutting Arboreal Grazer from the deck as well because the meta is getting so inbred that 
you don't need the grazer as much if people are already shying away from aggro because like the ramp aspect isn't really that important in the mirror and in those kind of long games so if people cut the grazers that is actually a sign that maybe you could play aggro again because because that the zero three reach blocker for one is actually a big reason why aggro can end the game fast enough so it might be we might be getting to the time now where you can actually start playing aggro again if people are getting that greedy yeah that's a good point definitely yeah Although that said, the Fae of Wishes is a 1-4 or 2 for 2. So that's a pretty decent blocker as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't help that it seems like the, the aggro deck of choice seems to be the mono black decks or sometimes kind of black green adventures that can kind of play a beatdown game, although it's a, a bit more grindy. So like the mono black decks don't, they don't have the advantages that the uh, the the mono red decks had from, from the previous format where the mono red decks could not only go really big, really fast to get over the top of Grazer, but they also had just had Burn that could either take it out of the way or get around it once it's played as a as a kind of last ditch blocker or you know to to slow down by a turn. And the mono black decks don't really have that reach in the same way. I mean, even like Rankle is one of the best top ends that the the deck can play, and the Arboreal Grazer just buys you a, a free turn against it. So it's pretty pretty obnoxious against the black decks um i don't know what the solution to that is really but yeah as people cut them that makes aggro more and more viable it could be like a cavalcade of calamity deck that's playable you know something like that sure i mean that deck is there it plays like torbran and stuff like that but i I think hmm, i mean like the deck golos also has teferi you know it can bounce the cavalcade of calamity it can buy turns it can rat the board after the opponent overcommits, things like that. Yeah, that's true. I, I think there could be a way to do it. Like, I, I think I was playing kind of a black-green stompy list that wasn't adventure-based. It was based on one of VTTLA's lists that he 5 would with. But it basically just had, like, you know, Pelt Collector, Knight of the Ebon Legion, and Wild World Tracker as the one drop. And it really, like, the only adventure card was Murderous Rider. And I thought that was okay. Like for getting damage in early, and then you you and then you have the questing beasts at least as kind of a little bit of quote unquote burn, you know, to, to finish the game. The only thing in their deck they have that uh, that can block it is Golos, which is a chump blocker for it, or like a really late game crisis. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's it's probably not fast enough uh, on average. Yeah, any any kind of mid rangey deck like that is is just not where I want to be in the Golos meta. Although questing beasts, you know, questing beasts can close the door. Um, doesn't get jump blocked by zombies. Good chunk of damage. Attacks face while also pressuring to fairy. It, it has these advantages, you know. It, it doesn't like if if Golos blocks it, it doesn't it doesn't die and it kills the Golos because it has you know the virtual infinite power because it's death touch. Yeah, it's not the worst. Like I would like I would like to be playing Gruel either. Except the thing is, your your two drops are two power haste creatures which just don't line up against arboreal grazer so again if people are getting greedier and going to one grazer zero grazer in their lists then i could see gruel maybe being an option as well like that's what i was winning with earlier on in the format even through some grazers i'd say i had like a slightly better than 50 50 win rate against quite a lot of golos heavy field just uh, you know playing robber the rich and zyrta goblin and stuff like that like spellbreaker into you know, uh, the dragon on turn four or questing beast or whatever, you usually had a stream of haste creatures that was big enough that you could end the game before they absolutely went off. So could be something to try again if, if the meta is, is that inbred. I might give that a go. Yeah, the Gruel decks are, are pretty good in terms of haste and that critical three power, um, which I do like. But again, as we've mentioned before, 
mana is is an issue in these two color decks um that are not enemy colors or yeah that's very true like you you will just stumble a lot of the time whereas the golos decks essentially never stumble in the first few turns they don't do that much but they're very consistent i mean one at- once upon a time just rights all wrongs right you, you look at a hand the other day i don't remember i don't remember the specifics of the hand right but it was like a two land hand and it was off colors and i had like teferi and golos and circuitous route and maybe maybe a grazer in my hand and then the the other card was a once upon a time and i just snapped mulliganed because i was like oh yeah i can't keep this but then i was like wait a minute could have easily kept that that once upon a time gets me green pretty much every time yeah, absolutely, and it seems like yeah, once upon a time is you know, probably the, the the card that holds the deck together, you know, and it, it just allows you, like you're saying, yeah, to keep, to keep uh, so many hands. And sometimes, yeah, you're like, you have a one-hander, you're like, oh, I've got to go a one-lander and a grazer, you're like, yeah, going to shift this. You're like, oh, wait, no, once upon a time, yeah, let's get a green source, boom, we're back. Yeah, and Sir. I know I've I've harped on about this before, but it finds your wrath. It finds your wrath. It finds yeah, that, part, that part is pretty absurd. Yeah, if yeah. it finds your golos, it finds all your key spells for your survivability. It find like if you have either turn one, if if you have a grazer in your opening hand, but you don't have a green source, you know, there's a good chance it'll find you your green source. If you don't have a, if you have a green source but you don't have a grazer, again, it'll you know probably find you the grazer or whatever you need, and it can find you your golos, which is your obviously your key card, the the deck's namesake. It can find Field of the Dead to make you that key zombie. It can find Hydroid Crisis to let you restock when you're out of gas or to play as a you know key chump blocker on turn four or whatever it is when you have four mana. It is just an insane card in the deck. Yeah, it also finds your wish spell so you can get your sideboard unlocked. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, most, a lot of people are just playing the one fae of wishes in the deck and it's like, well, you actually have technically more copies than that because of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. But can we talk about a contentious issue in Golos? Go on. Beanstalk Giant. I'm uh, I'm fully against Beanstalk Giant. Philosophically, because the creature side does not have reach. What the fuck is up with that? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's so strange seeing a 2020 battlefield that has no other keywords. Yeah. But listen, yeah, I... even flavor-wise, it's the Beanstalk Giant. It lives at the top of giant beanstalk in the sky. That's what the story's all about. Why doesn't it have reach? <laughs> so true. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe they thought so it, it, it like it's really good. Like a, a, on, I'm talking about raw power level as a card. It's it's actually good, and like one keyword makes it like slam dunk constructed playable. It's basically, I mean, it's not even fringe constructed playable. It it is constructed playable. We, we're seeing we're, it's seeing play in, in the adventures deck, the Jund adventures deck. It's seeing play in some Golos lists. Um, it's insane and limited, and I think one keyword would just push it slightly over the edge yeah but here's my point have you guys read jack of the beanstalk <laughs> uh all right i'm off it i'm sorry. I, I i don't i don't think i don't think i've read the um the original jack of the beanstalk whatever whatever that is i tell you what you know, I, I, don't know. I don't know i don't know yeah i'm not an expert i'm not an expert i'm not saying that but i'm pissed off about this guy so i'm heated about this one all right yeah but seriously i don't know i haven't felt i I haven't i've played with it like one or two games the beanstalk giant version and i just haven't felt the need for it to be honest like i feel like you like your ramp spells were already good enough as is like i I already know what i want to cut for it and like i feel like late game i've never had a problem winning the game anyway like even even the seven seven that you get off um the wrath feels kind of irrelevant to me like I, I just don't feel like those big vanilla creatures 
are really necessary. So I'd be looking at the Beanstalk Giant mostly in terms of the ramp spell. And again, I just don't, I don't think it's quite powerful enough to fit in. Okay, well, here's where I'm at, right? I think, so the list that I was playing before, and I haven't played in maybe a couple of days, so maybe I'm behind or whatever. But the list that I was playing before had two Beanstalk Giants in it. Because again, I don't think the ramp spell is amazing. It's okay. It does get you to land untapped, so sometimes you can double spell off it. Um, and obviously, like the big beater or whatever in any mid-range matchup is just fine. You can just keep swinging in with it, and it's going to be the abyss or whatever. Uh, the place where I really super valued it was the mirror, right? Now, I, I was all on the no beanstalk giant plan, which is something that Brian Gottlieb had been had been behind. So he, he was like, beanstalk giant is not good. There, it's It's worse than every other card in the list. Don't play it. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm all on board there. And then I played against uh, a mirror where my opponent had the Beanstalk Giants. And I just realized that the mirror just goes so, so, so long. And you get into these spots where Teferi is one of the most important cards on the field um, because it just allows you to do so many different things. Like you can uh, bounce your own Golos and bounce Agents of Treacheries and whatever. And it you can bounce your Realm Cloak Giants back to your hand so you can Wrath again. When your opponent has an overwhelming zombie presence and you don't um and what i realized was you can just play the beanstalk giant eventually and it doesn't die to the 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 wrath the giant the non-giant wrath so it just is there on the board as a 2020 and i won several games in this manner right so what happened was th- this was always post board usually uh no actually there was yeah there was a couple of times when it was uh pre-board i think but basically, I, I, I eventually just cast the Beanstalk Giant and had a big board of zombies. Then my opponent, uh, Rats, does the giant Wrath thing and kills all my zombies, plays their giant, because we, we both have infinite mana at this stage, plays their giant, plays a land, makes a lot of zombies, whatever, and maybe plays another thing, I don't know. And then I'm like, Grant, I have a Teferi on board, I can bounce maybe one thing. So I have my own giant on the board, I have my wrath in hand. I use the wrath to kill all their zombies. Be, and it doesn't kill my own giant. It doesn't kill their giant either. And then I play my Teferi, or I have my Teferi that's already on the board. I bounce their giant, and I swing for lethal in one turn. That's happened to me several times. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I, was, on, I was on the side of that one. So I, I, was, I was on the same page as you initially, Wolf, where I was yeah, against the stock giant uh, yeah, for, all, for all reasons you outlined. Then I was yeah, in a situation where I could see my opponent was putting together this play and I was like, oh, I think my way around it is I can, I'm, I'm playing Blast Zone, like, yeah, I can put Blast Zone up to seven uh, to, you know, to, to get around this. Then also, it's also annoying that uh, the Blast Zone, Blast Zone to seven also kills, you know, kills both giants. It kills you, like, if, if you have a seven, seven blocking uh, your front of Wrath, uh, the, that Blast Zone will kill that too. So it, it, there is, it is something that's kind of quite hard to deal with. And I think it's probably a weakness of the Golo set is that it doesn't interact well in some speed against, you know, a threat, like, like the threat you described there. Like a threat that comes out of nowhere and wins the game, uh, that's something that I can't necessarily deal with quite well. Um, so I think, yeah, kind of being able to set up a turn, be, being able to set up, set up a turn that takes your opponent, you know, quote unquote, by surprise, uh, is you know, a great way of breaking the mirror. Well, here, here's the thing, right? It's not even really by surprise because you, you said out of nowhere, but like you have to play the Beanstalk Giant and wait a full turn cycle before it can attack, and then it's just a big dumb beater. But the thing is, it's massive. So it'll pretty like. It'll pretty much always be, by the time you cast it, it'll always be like a 15-15 minimum. And then a few turns later, it's going to be like a 20-20 or a 21-21, whatever. It's massive. And the thing is, they literally can't do anything to it. 
there is nothing in the whole Golos deck. If you're playing a mirror, there is nothing in the whole Golos deck that does anything to that giant. The only thing that they can do is bounce it, and you just play it again. Uh, of course, they can block up yeah. zombies, but like you just don't have to attack, or you use your wrath to kill other zombies. I mean, they get agent of treachery, but that doesn't seem very good either. I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah after board or whatever. Yeah, that's true. No, not after board. Everyone's playing agent of treachery main deck now. <laughs> that's also true. That's also true. But yeah. For I've updated my list for this best of one event that is currently on Arena, which I, I haven't started yet. But uh, yeah, I took took your list pretty much and uh, changed a few bits in the sideboard and what have you uh to my own preference and that doesn't have any beanstalk giant and i'm pretty happy with that I, I think in best of one i don't think it's all that necessary i think there's other spells that are more impactful that you want to be more they're, they're more like useful you want to be sure that you have them in game one at least which it is only game one <laughs> so kieran how, how how about your run in this event yeah so it went okay i think um best of one obviously you're just gonna have some higher variance games uh, played against the mirror a couple of times uh, one each time. I went five, five, two. So I picked up three, or f- I think I picked up four wins in a row, then a loss, then a fifth win, then another loss. Um, let me get, I think I can get my, no, I can't get my record up. Um, the deck felt fine. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird playing best of one. Um, I don't know. It just, yeah, I, it just, it played a lot like best of three, except for it felt like, so my last loss was like a Jeskai Fires deck with a bunch of Planeswalkers. And that was one that just felt like, okay, maybe in a best of three game, you'd, you'd do much better here if you can bring in counter spells from the sideboard and stuff like that. But I think it probably is the best choice for best of one, just because even if you play against aggro, you're probably going to do fine. Like aggro basically needs the nuts to beat you. I did play three grazers in the list. So I'll bring the list up to see if there's anything worth talking about. Yeah, I played played three grazers, three Teferi, one Fey of Wishes, two Craces, two Agent of Treachery. Didn't play any Beanstalk Giant. Um, yeah, two two round club giant and then the sideboard was just all one-offs uh, so planar cleansing nissa assassin's trophy tamio jace mass manipulation ugin so just these big big hitters uh one dovin's veto in there as well which is quite good in the mirror um if you wrath make a bunch of zombies and then have like a fairy in play which happens a lot you can go search up your dovin's veto and basically they're they're not going to be able to win the game next turn if you can counter their wrath uh, unless they have two but that's not that likely um, I had an unmoored ego on the side. I'd probably take that one out. I kind of put it in thinking about the mirror, but when you can only wish for it and not draw it early, it doesn't really do anything. Um, yeah, I guess keep in mind when you're making your wish board with Fae of Wishes that you can only wish for non-creatures is something I would note. Um, did play a Plaza of Harmony just in case I played against Aggro, which actually did come in handy one game, to be honest. So I would recommend having a, a Plaza of Har- Harmony in your land bundle. Did again, played the Castle of Antris. This is this the one blue castle. This is something I'm kind of becoming less and less confident I want in the deck as time goes on. You almost never, in my opinion, have the spare mana to activate it for the scry two. Like late game, your hand is just always still full of spells and you generally just have much better things to do that are going to make you zombies or, or draw you cards or, you know, you're wishing or whatever. So... I would, I'd be kind of tempted to take that blue castle out there, maybe even replace it with a green castle just for an extra bump of mana in like the early game, even though that becomes even though that becomes less useful later on. I think later on, you've basically just locked up the game against so many decks that maybe that doesn't matter. And just getting that bump from five to six mana might be might be a nice option in the in the early game. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I'm. We were talking about this on the screen, on the stream. Uh, I'm. I'm a big fan of the castle, and I feel like I have used it quite a lot. Um, it's something that I think sometimes when not necessarily in the mirror, but say if, I'm, if I feel like 
early on in the early on in the season when there's a lot of extra sacks, I found I was, you know, games were kind of won and lost based on what I was seeing off my castle and my upkeep. If I'm if I need to draw a specific threat or a specific answer, uh, when you know, when, when we're kind of at that kind of long party, um and like I guess, yeah, it's a matchups, you know, by the that stage of the game, your hand is full of cards, you have lots of things to spend your mana on anyway. And yeah, you're right, there are usually are better things to do. Uh well I, I've been in situations where I didn't have I, I was kind of coming to the mid game without a whole lot of resources, but with the castle and uh just yeah, being able to go find something uh, in my upkeep um just to have you know a good play that turn was was exactly what I needed to do. Yeah, I, I can see that, but for like there's two things I'd say to that. One is that you already crush the Esper Stacks matchup, it's like a horrible matchup. And two, which is related, is that nobody is playing that deck anymore because Golos is everywhere. So I wouldn't really worry about it. But if there are other matchups where the same thing happens, I could definitely see that being uh, being enough to play it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a summarizing happen. And then um yeah, it, it's if you know, if there is another control deck that comes out, which probably will happen, uh I, I can see the castle being being important. Yeah, like I could see some kind of fires of invention deck popping up and you know, having a build that's able to beat this, just like like Wolf's kind of Grixis brew that's just plays maybe a bunch of legions ends and and you know the right counter spells or disruption or whatever to bridge the gap and then just like you know wins on turn six playing two planeswalkers or something so like gets in under the golo stack but but can still you know handle sort of handle the mid game well enough against them yeah yeah I can see that and then uh, this is um so this is a uh, you see this just by fires this that martin user has for the um the mtg uh, mpl uh, sapphire division split is, um just by fires deck with um this Cavalier combo, uh, they're they're calling it. You know, fires, fires invention, and the red and blue cavalier. You can play them on the same turn with all your mana, and uh, you know just you know give them both haste and pump them with the with the ability of the red cavalier. I think it's that's something. Yeah, it's something like like lines are saying. It's like a a very strong play to make in a single turn. Uh, that entirely changes board state, entirely changes everything. Um, you know, it's also I, I think that a deck this kind of build is like something that that. I think, like I said before, because the Golos deck is so bad at interacting um, at instant speed, this is the kind of thing that you want to be doing. You want to you know, present a present a gaming threat out of nowhere that, that they need to answer straight away. Um, kind of like, you know, and, and if you don't, you, know, you win. Kind of, you know, in the same vein, you know, as Splinter Twin or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Is this actually good against Golos? I haven't played this matchup, but the Jesco deck. What? Yeah, I, I'm... It's kind of scary. Is it though? Like you can just chump block the creatures. Don't have trample. That's they're flying. Well, the Gale, the Cavalier Gales is the only card in the deck with flying, and you only have four of them. And you have like you have Crisis and you have Arboreal Grazer to chump. Uh, I guess really beat Golos. I just don't see it at all. I don't. I don't think it necessarily beats Golos. I don't know if it's like an amazing deck, but it, it just it can kill in one turn. Is the is the scary thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I could see that. Like, like the version I lost to was just like a Super Friends version. It wasn't. It wasn't like a Cavalier version. Yeah, I mean, this this could kill on turn five. I guess if you get it, if you do it that early, yeah, there's a chance maybe the the Golos player just doesn't have anything set up yet. I could see that. Yeah, that that's the thing. I'd like to try this. It's fun. Turn five. Yeah, it looks good. I I do think the uh, the other Jeskai Fires deck is actually pretty decent as well. After like watching your matchup today, um, I just feel like Sarkin is pretty good against the against the Golos deck. Like flying, obviously, is the Golos deck's weakness weakness. Um. And Hydro Crazes is your way to get around that, but you need a lot of mana to be making your Crazes big enough to to block four four flyers. And even still, they've got a lot of four four flyers when they're all planeswalkers. Yeah, if it did feel really rough 
Um, and as well, they have Narset in the deck, which is a card that nobody else is playing at the moment. And that card is like, I mean, I'm not going to say it's amazing against Golos, but it's pretty decent. It's like, you know, it turns off like the Growth Spiral draw and a couple other things. So Yeah, it, it puts you in a bind where you want to play your Hydro Crisis so it can, so it can block, but it's not actually gaining or anything. It's not, you're not getting any traction with it. Yeah, and like, for example, in that match as well, I had to like play Teferi and bounce their Fires of Invention and not get to draw a card because they had Narset, stuff like that. Yeah. So that I could actually see being a decent choice if people want something to. I have. We, I haven't actually played this yet, but yeah, I got. I got crushed by it in that. In that uh, one. One best of one game sample size. <laughs> well, I mean, you also the, those decks also have you know Deafening Clarion, which is good against the big field of zombies. It's not amazing because you'll rebuild pretty quickly, but it can be good on a on a clutch turn when they're attacking you, putting pressure on you, and you're like, right, well, at least I can attack back some of the planeswalkers next turn and then I'm stemming the bleeding and I'm gaining some value there and then they just cast Deafening Clarion and you're like, oh, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> and then that also, Ooh. Deafening Clarion, makes the deck pretty decent, a good choice against aggro as well. We do have a super sweet list here. This is um, Evil Tortilla playing uh, in some small tournament or whatever that they put up on MTG Goldfish, but they're playing Jeskai Jeskai Fire Super Friends with two Kenrith the Return King in the main deck, which is just the first time I've seen this being played in standard, so I think that's super sweet. Oh, baby. People on the Arena Decklist podcast, or the Arena Decklist Discord, are talking great Kenrith a lot. They're just saying this played in normal Golos that it's a big band. I think you're going to use all of the the abilities, and um, yeah, kind of, you know, if you you read through Kenrith's abilities, and uh, think of you know, a ward of zombies. Uh, it kind of it does start to make sense. Trample and haste, draw a card. You can um, I mean, you can bring back a Golos. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna play Kenrith, you got to put the Beanstalk Giants back in, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, this list. To be clear, I was talking about it at Jeskai Fires, where it's sweet because you have Fires and Invention, so you so you always have mana to to put into the Kenrith abilities. Yeah, but yeah, I could see it in Golos too. That is, yeah. I mean, Golos technically also also always has mana because so much mana. But uh, sorry, yeah, but you you also pretty much always use all your mana. I find in that deck, like even when you have a million lands, you're still using a lot of it every turn. Yes, that's uh, that's actually what I wanted to go back to. I never said how I felt about Castle Vantress. Um, I am somewhere. I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle of you two guys. Like I have definitely used Castle Vantress, and it's been good for me occasionally to draw into gas and help me win those long games but i feel like you need that help so rarely and you use so much of your mana every turn despite the fact that you're ramping like an insane person uh that i don't think it's essential to the deck it's more like a a nice to have rather than uh, a key player that you always want to be there so i would say i don't know i think i think it's it's not a clear for me it's not a clear shouldn't should or shouldn't be in the deck i think there are times when you want it in the deck and then other times when you don't. I think probably if there's a lot of aggression, then you don't want it in the deck because it also comes in tapped possibly on a key turn. Uh, and then anytime when, when things are going long, you probably do want it. But at the same time, if you're playing a lot of mirror matches, I feel like those are the ones where you definitely always tap your mana every turn. You're doing so much stuff every turn because your opponent essentially can't interact with you. So you just always have loads of stuff going on. Um, and it just, all that matters is who can play the most haymakers the fastest, and Castle Vantress doesn't really help you along that that kind of, uh, that road. So I think it is probably fine to cut at the moment. 
if we get into some kind of a metagame where there's a big control deck, like, as you say, as Esper stacks, I think it's it's great in that matchup. And it's probably good against something like the Black Green or Jund Adventure decks, which actually can grind really, really well. But they, at some point, they don't put you under a lot, a lot of pressure. If you've been able to wrath, then they end up with a couple of 1-1s on the board. And you're very happy to be to be scrying every turn while you're making maybe one zombie or two zombies or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I think at the moment, I'm considering cutting the card for maybe even just another basic or another gate. Yeah, it's basically the that comes out to play topped. That is the, the biggest pain in the ass part of it. Like if that wasn't ever a problem, I would just, I would always be happy with playing one. But there have been times where this has stopped me casting Growth Spiral on turn two. And that's that's a big problem. Same, yeah. There have yeah, been times where I'm like, I wish this was an island. And like the if you are playing Beanstalk Giant, the, uh, the basics in the deck are under pressure because you've got Fable Passage, you've got obviously Golos, maybe can sometimes search out a basic, usually not, but uh, Circuitous Route often searches out maybe one basic and one gate or whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, fa- as I said, Fable Passage. So uh, the, the, the basics in the deck are under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see if you're if you're going to be stock, beat the beanstalk package, uh, yeah, maybe it makes sense to play more basics because I, I think yeah, one thing when we were, when we were saying things are bad about being beanstalk giant, you mentioned yeah that this pressure on the yeah on the um on the uh, basics is is something to consider. Yeah, you found uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I know you said Securitas route instead of Securitas route. Um, is that because uh, American Magic players say route, and uh, even though the English pronunciation is route? Yes. Yes. Yeah, very, in that context. Yeah. So it's very, it's very peculiar to me that I, I noticed that I've now started saying route in normal conversation outside magic. And uh, in work, I'm, I said the word, oh, we can take this route. And um, in my head, I was like, oh my God, what did I just say? Mm-hmm. Leaking into real life. Yeah, it's a weird one. Magic certainly messes with my pronunciation of words. Yeah. Yep, definitely. So if you want to beat Golos, what are you playing? Playing Jeskai Fires? I think so. I mean, that, that loss got to me, I won't lie. So now I got to try it out, see if it's for real. Yeah, I think the, the last time, I think the last match I played uh, was against, it was against a teamer list, which was, oh God, I, can't remember if I, I wish I could remember more of it, but it, it was basically just playing mid-range game with Oko. It was basically like a Simic deck um, with Oko, with Nissa, and then Smash Red for Sarkhan. So again, it was kind of taking that play where you're like, oh yeah, I think we're parity here. You know, I think I've controlled the game. And then uh, they just cast Sarkhan. And I'm like, oh, I'm in danger. Uh, so I think that I mean I would literally seen the second one so I don't know even though it was a real thing uh, but it beat me quite handily um, in both of our games yeah they're they're usually basically putting you on a one turn clock when they cast Sarkhan because it's pretty often that they're going to have two planeswalkers out already so they just hit you for 8 and then they hit you for 12 next turn of course you can gain life and things like that you have gain life lands sometimes you're above above 20 but they're putting you basically on a one to two turn clock when they do that if you can't attack them back so you have to make sure that you have that presence. Yeah, your deck just can't deal with multiple planeswalkers in like the mid game. There's just no, it's not really possible. Like you haven't made enough zombies by then to attack them, and the, you don't have any other cards that really affect the board like that. Well, we are seeing a lot of um, what's it called? Planar cleansing. Yeah, people play like one copy of that usually. I consider it a flex slot. It obviously it is nice against Walker decks, so maybe that that goes back in, or you even go up to two. But that card is very expensive. Um, it's triple blue, right? Which is can actually be awkward for the deck uh, before you get to the super late game. Um, so yeah, playing multiple copies could be awkward for that reason as well. Triple white. Yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Blue. Oh yeah, it's, that card is not triple blue. <laughs> Cavalier Gales is triple blue. That card's sweet. Yes. 
Oh yeah, speaking you know, Cavalier and that, and that Cavalier deck tone has two more combos, right? One, com one combo is Cavalier of, of Gales plus Nib Visit. That's pretty good. Okay, what? And also... What's the combo? I think just having a Cavalier of Gales and a Nib Visit in play is already pretty good. <laughs> well, it's going to something. Three things. Yeah. Although, how about this, right? This is something we wanted in Sander for so long. We wanted a uh, Cavalier Gales and uh, Fable Passage. Yeah, that is sweet. That is really sweet. Yeah, that's boom. Brainstorm fetch. That's true. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. I buy the uh, Cavalier Gales Niv Mizzet because that it, it's the wrong way around on the curve. So no, they book about at the same time when you have a uh, players out. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you you still can't cast a six drop when you have five lands, but you can drill cast yeah. five drop. So anyway, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that deck is good. It's comboy. It can win games. It's probably decent against aggro list, right? Which deck are we talking about? We talked about like three different decks there. <laughs> the, but it's just the, the Martin Easel one, right? The Jeskai fires with Cavaliers. I have no idea. I've never seen this deck played, so... Okay, okay. I would just be Jerry crafting. <laughs> All right, any other picks for beaten Golos? Maybe... Yeah, so I suppose... Mono Black, packing Legion's End in the sideboard? Yeah, that, yeah, that, that could work. Yeah, I do, I do like... Um, again, sometimes like a, a, you know, an early... Um, an early... One Mayhem is, is a significant clock against... Uh, Golos, well, unless you have to ferry, then it seems some. <laughs> True. And if you're playing Golos, what are you doing to combat this, right? We got Vela Summer in the sideboard. Vela Summer is pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, I always like Vela Summer. Vela Summer is pretty good against, uh, it's also pretty good against the, um, in the mirror against Ancient Treachery. Vela Summer is like very much not good at all because it's Teferi. It's like there's always a Teferi in play. Like, you can't <laughs> yeah. play Vela Summer. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was boarding in Vela Summer in the Mirror because of Agents of Treachery, but then it was like, that's literally pretty much the only spell in their whole deck that targets, and the game's just going so long, and there's so many rats that they'll probably have a Teferi in play, so maybe I just shouldn't board this in at all. No, I think Vela Summer is like at its, probably at its lowest value for like green decks and standard at the moment since it got printed. But like if, if you're playing a green deck and you're playing against Mono Black, that's it's unbelievable there. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Uh, but it's like not many people are playing mono black. That's the problem. Sure. They, I mean, there's Rakdos decks going around as well. There's some versions of aggro. I played an extremely infuriating match the other day against a person who was running the uh, the cat combo, and uh, they played they played turn one witches oven into turn two two witches ovens, and this was post sideboard, and I had brought in deputy of detention. And I played Deputy Detention, and then they uh, untapped and Noxious Grafts and played the cat. And then I managed to keep the game going for a long time. And then eventually I drew another Deputy Detention. And I, in, in between, I had drawn a an Ashiok because I was like, well, it's the only graveyard hate that I have. Maybe I can catch the cat in the graveyard without being able to come back. And I had actually exiled three of their cats, and they had two cards in hand. And it was a Noxious Grasp and a cat. They were able to kill me. <laughs> bad beat story that I know everybody loves hearing uh, <laughs> but maybe that cat deck is okay no probably not no it's terrible uh, Simic Flash like Simic Flash is really powerful so like, yeah I guess we should talk about all the Simic decks right or we talked about them a bit last week but kind of you got the like mid-range deck and you got the, the the Flash deck and you got the Ramp deck at the moment Yeah. before you could kind of separate them by like how much they played Oko now it seems like the Simic Flash decks are just playing Oko as well so it's harder to tell which is which um i think this is like an okay choice 
but I would have to be convinced as to why exactly to play any of these decks. Like, I think they're fine, but I just think Golos is just a better option at the moment. Like, Oko doesn't interact particularly well with the Golos decks. Like, none of the abilities really, really do very much. Um, and, like, with Simic Flash, it's like, you just have a lot of dorky creatures, Golos, that can go off the board, and they'll eventually, you know, if you land a fairy on turn three and they don't have the quench over or whatever, like, your deck is pretty much half turned off. And even without that, like it, I don't think you're able to like win the game fast enough before they just start pumping out zombies. So even though the the the, the decks are sort of like in a vacuum quite powerful, I'm just not sure why I, I would pick them up right now. Yeah, I mean Oko does have certain applications against Golos. It can obviously it can provide some kind of a beatdown plan. It can steal Golos or it can turn Golos into a three three. I mean, stealing Golos often doesn't work out for them because it just gets immediately bounced back by Teferi and gets played again and gets another field of death. So that that often doesn't work out. So maybe don't do that and instead turn Golos into a 3-3 Elk if you can. Uh, I guess it also gets bounced in that situation, but I don't know. Um, yeah, you just often have the second Golos in hand by that point as well as the um, as the Golos deck. Yeah, and you don't even care. Yeah, because you've, you've usually thinned your deck a bit and drawn, what, like five cards or something, so... Yeah. It's, it's not too unlikely you'll have hit two Golos. Yeah, and I mean, Golos on the board is very threatening, and it is fantastic to activate his ability. Uh, but once it's entered the battlefield and done its thing and gotten the Field of the Dead or whatever card it was that you needed, uh, whatever land it was that you needed, you're actually, you don't even really care that much if it gets removed. Obviously, it's nice to keep it around, but if it gets removed, it's not the end of the world. And as you said, you'll soon be drawing your next one, so... Yeah, and the issue is, it's like, even if you don't have a Teferi on board, at that point, it's like, you don't really care if your most of your spells get countered. Like, you know, once you have the field of that going, it's like, sure, counter my circuitous route, route, whichever we're, we're saying now, I can't remember. Uh, the, uh, or, you know what I mean, counter my my growth spiral or, or, or whatever. There's only very few spells you super care about resolving, so you can usually still resolve them at some point, and you're just going to keep making land drops in the meantime and, and gum up the board until you just have the inevitability, you know? Yeah, and you're just like, well, yeah. here, enjoy enjoy dealing with my six power and toughness for free every turn. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like kind of seeing this matchup unfold really just emphasizes how you know, absurd feel that is and how difficult it is to interact with. It's like no matter no matter how many kind of spells you have in your hand, but you can't you can't counter a land drop. It's pretty absurd. Yep. Yeah, like the like the thing is, before I was playing Golos, I was really scared of Oko. No, pretty much no matter what deck I was playing, turn two or turn three, Oko was just like very oppressive it felt like i really just don't care about it when i'm playing this deck and it's the same with like wicked wolf that's we we talked about that before as a very surprising card that wasn't really on our radar and we realized was super super powerful again like doesn't really do anything against the golos deck so these cards that are like superstars in in other matchups against fair decks just don't really work against the axis that you're playing on yeah it's really funny that those those three cards that i called out from last week that i was like oh these took me by surprise these powerful Four mana cards that I didn't expect. Wicked Wolf, Fires of Invention, and Doom Foretold. All three of them who just kind of pale in the face of Kolos. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I hope we haven't uh, haven't bummed anyone out about the format. But, I don't know. Is this a situation where they could just emergency reprint Field of Ruin? <laughs> in, I think I'd you know, a new, a new Brawl deck or something comes out with, like, Field of Ruin or Pillage or something in it. I don't know. Oh, Pillage would be great. Um... Yeah, it's. I mean, I kind of yeah. I I, I did um, one of these fire decks. You know, becomes very very tuned or very very you know very very. It'd be it'd be great if 
a deck that very much punished field, field of Rune decks or Field of Dead decks emerged. Um, then we started getting disbalanced about it because I kind of thinking like, even though it's only been a week, uh, the formats are moving so fast. We see so many changes so far. It's like it's still a clear deck that beats Skolos hasn't yet emerged. Uh, at least in my opinion, I, I, there's something that clearly beats Skolos. Um, I was kind of hoping. I was kind of hoping. We, I was kind of hoping we'd see that by then. Yeah, I mean. It's literally the day after the set release, so there's there's obviously still time. It's just things do yeah. move very pa- fast, as you say, in this uh, in this post arena world. Yeah, yeah, I might try. Yeah, I might try this chess guys fire. Chess chess guys super friends because yeah, like you're saying, yeah, early early planeswalkers are already good at beating models. Yeah, and they're generally pretty good to have on the board as well. So it could be a go. Yeah. So an idea that I floated earlier in our WhatsApp was the idea of Field of the Dead being banned. Um, now, I don't want to sound like I'm being alarmist or championing it to be banned, uh, because I think that's just like day one of the format. Come on, that's just too much. But the there was this Twitter Twitter thread about uh, SEG and all the rounds going so late. So like every round went, I think, at least 10 to 15 minutes over, and some of them were over half an hour longer uh, at the day one of the SEG this weekend. And it was a team tournament, so I guess it's each round is more likely to go long it's the first weekend of the format so people aren't as familiar with cards they're not as familiar with the actions that they're taking and things like that there's going to be more judge calls so maybe that is it but if golos and field of the dead continue to have an impact on tournaments where they make them go long all the time then they could be banned i mean isn't isn't that ascent or it could be banned isn't that essentially why top was banned on miracles um that... Yeah, but I mean that happened after after years, you know. Yeah, sure. If it, like, yeah, if that is a real problem, I don't know if that is a real problem though. Is it? Well, like also, you know, I feel like once once you have the Golo stuff going, the the turns don't really take that long, do they? They're just, you're just like make six zombies go, you know. Kind of. Oh, it's almost like I mean, if you imagine like yeah, like in paper, like rearrange. Like you got when you got twenty five lands in the battlefield, you're arranging to tap them in the best way. Uh, I see this mechanically that has been very, very difficult. So yeah, I guess there's so many shuffle effects in the deck as well with circuitous yeah. route plus fable passage plus some other ones I'm probably not thinking of. Beanstalk giant, Golos. Yeah, so that probably actually eats up a lot of time. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the that's the thing that I was going to bring up next is is so many shuffles and you know people continue going on about this whole uh, fetches are never coming back because of the shuffles and how much longer they make tournaments go. I mean, this deck is also doing that, and it's pretty clearly the best deck, so it's going to be heavily played. I mean, I, look, look, I'm not saying this, this problem is going to be here for the whole entirety of this year until next rotation. We don't know what's even in the next set. There could be an insane land destruction card in the next set that we're just like, oh, uh, uh, Field of the Dead, unplayable now. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Ooh, what if they reprint, reprint Bile Blight? I guess it's the same as Legion's End. <laughs> I mean, the next set comes out when January. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long way away. Like, true. This is this is the standard format on the on the draft set that lasts the longest in the year, the fall set until the you know the the first quarter set. Yeah. So if it is if if it is too good, that is a problem. But I don't know. I feel like maybe this is just how magic works now because like this is the first year we've had you know everyone playing arena when rotation happened and you know, the set comes out a week early on Arena, maybe there's just enough, maybe things are just going to get solved. 
very quickly now when rotation happens and people already know most of the cards that are good in standard, most of the interactions that are good, and you have a shitload of people playing them and like a week's worth of tournaments before the set's even released in paper. You know, maybe this is just how fast things things go now. I don't know. Yeah, and, and also everyone just has the cards to play with. Yeah because it's so easy to get them on arena you don't lose any of the old cards that you already had you probably have full or almost full collections of all the previous sets all you need to do is buy you know a quote-unquote booster box from the new set and you're pretty much set for most of the decks you want to try or brew and on top of that they've given us this event which i can certainly see them repeating this event again of play any deck you have access to all, all the cards in standard go nuts uh that's really good for letting people test you know so yeah, I, I think this is just going to be the way it is. People are just going to know what the good decks are from week zero, and it's just going to proceed like this from now on. Um, yeah, and I mean, Arena, the fact that so much of Magic is being played on Arena nowadays means that the searching and the shuffling is not a problem because all those games, obviously shuffling doesn't even happen. It's instantaneous, and the searching is also very, very quick. So if it's really only a problem for paper tournaments and paper tournaments are down in terms of attendance, I don't know if they are, I can't say that for, for sure, but let's say Arena is taking away from paper attendance or whatever, um, then maybe it's not a problem. And, and this is the logic that I used however many weeks ago it was when I said, hey, maybe they will reprint fresh lands because, because of Arena and how easy digital magic is nowadays. Yeah, you're, you take a very good point. Um, I'm thinking yeah, it's possible, but you know, well, the next BNR announcement is tomorrow yeah so um maybe uh maybe by the time this episode is up <laughs> will that already have happened <laughs> well if if it does then i'm really glad that we talked about it because we'll look like geniuses oh imagine that everybody in the whole match really is taken by surprise but we knew <laughs> as long as they don't ban mox opal i'm fine please i just bought them on magic online like two weeks ago please don't ban it sell 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 no they're not going to ban anything in modern uh after the last announcement for yeah a... i know i know yeah, a long. I'll say, I'll say no changes tomorrow. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if there are any changes to any format. Maybe. Uh... I think they will ban Astrolabe and Popper. That's my prediction. Do you think? Oh, yeah, I think they will. What about? Uh... It's like a four. If it's a four of in like every deck, it's ridiculous. Sure. Yeah. What What about Vintage? Didn't they Didn't they solicit uh, feedback on Vintage last time? So there could be some Vintage changes. I could see them restricting Narset and Vintage. That would be cool. Okay. It's pretty busted. And Leovold got restricted, right? I th- or no, Leovold didn't get restricted, but it's three colors. Mars, it's just blue. Yeah, I mean, I honestly have absolutely no idea about anything about Vintage, so I can't, I can't comment. Very good. I recommend watching it. It's hilarious format to watch. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think this will conclude our constructed portion of the podcast, and we'll briefly talk about Limited, but just wanted to shout out before the end that uh, last week I said... Was it last week? Oh, my God, it feels like three years ago. Uh, I said that green-white tokens was on my to brew list and i attempted it i abandoned it i didn't like it <laughs> i went into arena and i just clicked loads of cards that i was interested in i ended up with like 100 cards in my deck and i was like right i'll whittle it down and it'll be a good deck there's so many good cards here and i didn't like it but then it's fine because reed duke did it anyway uh go and check out reed duke's list from the mpl it seems like a decent green white deck i don't get the appeal for other decks to be honest, but mm. I think it looks it looks cool. It's a green white adventure deck. I would personally prefer to play Jund Adventures Abuse Once Upon a Time, as we mentioned last week. Yeah, I actually played his his list a lot. Um, you know, I was I've been from playing Modern over Summer. I've been I've been away from Rita, so I started off in bronze. 
So I had us under the fast sector to climb back up to the higher ranks. And uh, yeah, I climbed up quite quickly, quite handily uh, with, uh, yeah, with his Dreamlight Adventure list. Pretty, Sweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll, but the games are all pretty straightforward. Okay. One, um, one of my notes here against Green Red on the play, I went 2 0 and I won. Opponent was a screw up and conceded early both games. <laughs> so um, the power of, of, of most rookies. They were probably uh, just really upset that you were net decking. <laughs> it's, uh, every so often I hear someone use the term net decking in like a non ironic way, <laughs> and uh, it just tickles me so much. Yeah, it is very funny. All right, well. That concludes the constructed portion of the podcast. Let's talk about Limited a little bit. Uh, have any of you got any further chance to play Limited? I managed to go to a pre-release last week, this weekend, I guess. Yeah, it was yesterday, um, which we don't really get pre-releases here very often. So that, that was a very lucky one. That's great. Nice. Did you, did you get any sweet alt art cards? I got a Beanstalk Giant, funny enough. Oh, very nice. Um. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the limited of the set. Adventures are just so sweet, so value-filled. Um, my pool was really hard to build, in my opinion. It was really, really deep in green, and then all my other colors were pretty bad. I had very, very little removal in the whole pool. I had... This, this is the removal I had. I had Trapped in the Tower. I had Charmed Sleep. And I had, I guess, uh, Run Away together. I guess that's removal. And Stolen by the Fae. I guess that's also removal. And that's it. That's all I had. Yeah, Solo by the Fae is very, very powerful. Yeah. So I, I basically green was super, super deep. And all my other colors, like none of my other colors put together with any other color except green could make a deck. So I was like, okay, I'm playing green, but I still don't have quite enough green cards to make a mono green deck. So I basically need to pair it with another color. And all the cards that I had in other colors were like fairly medium to decent. So I was like, mm, what will I go with here? And I eventually, I, I actually played both the red-green version and the blue-green version during the event. I sideboarded between them sometimes. Uh, when I was on the play, I went for the, the red-green version. And then when I was on the draw, sometimes I went for the blue-green version. Yeah, my default was the blue-green because it was slightly more powerful. Uh, but then sometimes when my opponent's deck was very powerful and I was on the play, I went into the red-green version so I could have a faster kill. Um and yeah, the, the only real draw of the red-green version was that basically every card in my deck was non-human and I had a Grumgully. Uh, and then the blue-green version had, as I said, Stolen by the Fae and Charmed Sleep. It also had Runaway Together and Mara Leaf Pixie. So it was kind of awkward that Charmed Sleep and Stolen by the Fae are both double blue when I'm so deep in green. So I was running a 10-7 mana base and I think it maybe even should have been 11-6 because there was so few blue cards in my deck. But Marleaf Pixie obviously helped the mana a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was 3-0. With, the tournament was four rounds. Um, first round I played against an opponent who was on like a blue-white uh, artifacts and enchantments deck, but they never really got anything going. I mulligan to five in the second game and still won pretty handily. I had a Lovestruck Beast in my pool, which was pretty decent. Um, that did a lot of work in a lot of games. Then I played against a, an opponent who was on a base black deck with splashing three colors so they're splashing blue red and green they were splashing green for beanstalk giant which is odd and the first time that my opponent so my opponent had black had had like four swamps on the battlefield plus uh an island i think and then they played a forest and cast beanstalk giant and went to get the mountain uh and then i was like (laughs) i just said to my opponent you deserve to lose this game (laughs) 
and they did. Nice. Got him. Yeah. And then my third round was against an opponent who had uh, Foil Great Henge and Foil Questing Beast. So I was delighted to beat those. <laughs> my God. How did you possibly win that? Uh, I had two Fierce Witch Stalkers, so I just I just attacked with them. I, I was beating down because I, I had a reasonably aggressive draw. I was beating down. My opponent was basically forced to block the Fierce Witch Stalker with the Questing Beast, and my opponent never drew the Great Henge, so... Oh, that'll do it then. Okay. <laughs> Question answered. <laughs> I mean, I think because all my opponents had a black coat and never drew Never mind that. I lost game one to their ginger brute, so <laughs> Oh no. I'm I'm pretty sure literally fifteen of the of the twenty damage that they did to me was ginger brute. The other the other yeah, the other no, it was probably sixteen of the twenty damage and then the other four was Questing Beast. Ginger brute gets in there, man. Yeah. yeah. Certainly does. Certainly does. Uh, and then round four, this was for all the peanuts. Uh, I played against the local ringer, uh, great lad, Sui. He's I would generally put him as the best magic player in the country. Um, and we always have good games. And he absolutely smashed me. The power level of his deck was completely off the charts. He <laughs> he had a he had Goose on turn one or two in both games that we played, and he was playing a Teamer deck, and he had perfect mana by turn three every game that we played. I mulliganed to six both games. Uh, what else did he have? He had insane stuff. He also had a lot, a lot of non-human synergies going on. He had this sick combo of Mad Ratter into Keeper of Fables. Uh, oh my god. Which means that you just make two rats, and then obviously the rats can just f- usually swing in, and even if one of them dies, you don't care because you're about to make two more rats and draw a card. Uh, so That's outrageous. Insane. Yeah, and uh, what was the other thing that he had? What's what's the card that lets you loot every turn? Uh, it's the, the non-human, it's like a 2-5, whenever a non Two and a red, that one? No? Oh, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a one one five or a two five for in blue. What is it called? I can't remember what it's called. I don't remember the name, but whenever a non-human enters the battlefield, you can you can loot. So he had that going. He had the the four mana two four flyer that gets plus power or whatever. It, his deck was absolutely absurd. My my deck was very medium power level, but very consistent. But seeing as he was able to get his stuff online in each game, he just absolutely tranced me. But then I got him back because we got our prize packs. Uh, he he got a showdown pack for being first. Plus, anybody who got more than, I think, two wins got one pack. And me and him both got two packs for being first and second place. So he, he got a showdown pack and two normal packs. And all the prize packs happened to be Throne of Eldrain Korean packs because the uh, the connect that we went through for the uh, for the pre-release packs was, was the, uh, the Korean dudes who live in Hanoi. They bring all the magic cards in, apparently. So uh, they had a few extra Korean packs floating around. So I cracked mine open. I got a War of the Spark back as well. So we got a War of the Spark and a Throne of Eldrain. And I got a Karn the Great Creator and a Great Henge. So it was pretty Oh my god. And he got absolute trash from his packs. Yes. Nice. <laughs> real He's a real winner. Exactly. Exactly. It was a weird thing because I got that Great Henge. And then in two of the pre-release packs, uh, two, two separate guys got Foil, Great Henge, Foil, Questing Beast. That's insane. It's cast. And it, it was like a 14-player tournament. Very odd. Anyway, uh, have you guys evolved your opinions on Limited or played any more Limited at all? I've played a couple more drafts. Um, yeah, I'm still just generally liking the set. I, I wouldn't say I've gone 
kind of uh, gone too deep on it yet, but I'm, I'm enjoying all the games. It seems like like all the games last long enough that you feel like you're always in it. Um, adventures are cool, as you said. They provide a lot of value. I feel like one thing that I was doing at the start, which I've stopped doing, is basically prioritizing kind of the worst adventure cards whereas before i was like oh it's so much value i'll even play the the not so great ones but realistically if you do that you end up just dying with a load of cards exiled in adventure and a load of cards in your hand and you never really have time to use everything so basically just just play the good ones <laughs> don't don't worry about playing the the mediocre ones is is what i learned yeah which which ones in particular have you kind of stayed away from because i I actually didn't have that many adventure cards in my pool. I think I had Beanstalk Giant, I had Lovestruck Beast, and then I want to say that was it. I might have had another white adventure card that I didn't play. I had the, the Fairy Guide Mother, actually, that I didn't play. And I want to say something else, but I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so I didn't actually get a chance to play with many of them, but Beanstalk Giant was the main one that I was like always happy to see. Yeah, Beanstalk Giant's great. I guess I have a curious pair, you know, where it's like the front side is like a food for a green and the other side is a 1-3 for two. Just, just avoid those unless you have like insane. Even if you have insane payoffs for like for food or adventures or whatever, there's enough good ones that you don't have to play the the really bad filler ones to, to enable those. You know what I mean? Just stick to playing the good cards. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I did have a curious pair now that you mention it. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was never great. Yeah, it's pretty bad, that one. One card that really overperformed for me that I think is like a pretty key card in the set, I want to say, is a Mara Leaf Rider. So it's the one in a green, three one, and you can sack a food to make target creature block it until end of turn. Yeah, that card's quite good. Yeah, it is very good actually. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's it's not a human, so it works for all the non-human stuff. Uh, green decks, if you're heavy green, you pretty much just incidentally generate a fair bit of food anyway, and just having like your fierce witch stalkers which have like trample and then maybe have another big beater that doesn't have trample like let's say lovestruck beast obviously that's a rare but whatever uh and then on a key turn when you're just beating down if you have let's say two foods just sitting around you can have two of their key blockers block the mara leaf rider and and get in with your big dudes it's great yeah, I've also found Tempting Witch to be a lot better than I expected. It's the, I think it's a 1-3 for 4 that makes a food, or 1-3 for 3, is it? I can't remember. Makes a food and you can pay 3 mana and sack a food to have target player lose 3 life. Um, that's A lot of the longer games have ended up quite board stall for me, especially if you're in like blue-black or you're playing against blue-black or something, like a, one of the control or mill decks. And I have just ended up in games where I've had enough food lying around that I could just kill them from like 12 or whatever just with that ability. So I didn't think that was going to be great at first, but uh, it's actually turned out to be a lot better than expected. I think most of the food payoffs I feel the same about. Yeah, that is a very sweet card. It's three mana, I think. Yeah. And I think also flying is, because the format is pretty board stally, I think flying is, is slightly better than normal. And in the red version of my deck that I was running, I had Brimstone Trebuchet, which I think is fantastic. Just being a decent defensively started reach creature that can ping for one every turn. I loved it. Makes makes no sense. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. How is a trebuchet going to hit something out of the sky? Ridiculous. Without killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my opponent had... I can't remember what my opponent had. Order of Midnight. Now, in fairness, Order of Midnight can't block. But they were like just very confidently... This is the, the opponent who has the, had the four-color deck. Very confidently swung in. I was like, uh, block? I was like, yeah, this has reach. He was very shocked. Get him. No take backs. No. No take backs at all. Actually, I think I did let him take that back. Uh, my dad opponent also had Witch's Vengeance. Two, he had two Witch's Vengeance. What a horrible, horrible person. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but Revenge of Ravens is obviously completely busted. I presume everyone's figured that out by now, but that card is absolutely obnoxious and should not have been printed. Yeah, it's like um, what was that? That enchantment was it? Oh my god, how long ago was that? It was uh, was it Magic Origins or was it one of the BFZ sets? There was a, a blue enchantment that gave all your creatures minus one, minus zero. Yes, that card was incredibly annoying. It was BFC or or was it the Gatewatch? I I think. Yeah, and it was like a sleeper card in the set that everyone kind of discovered a bit later on. They were like, "Oh, this looks seems kind of crap." And then after a few weeks, people were like, "Well, hold on, actually, this this card has a, a clear place in the format." And uh, Revenge of Ravens is just like much better than that. Yeah, it's so good. Like. It's so annoying because sometimes even after you know, you're like, okay, okay, yeah, so some of these attacks are going to be unprofitable. And then you're like, okay, attack with this. And then you're like, no, this is also, like, this also leaves me worse off than I was before. It just happens in so many situations. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you have to like just attack with one big flyer that you put a bunch of equipment on or something. And sometimes your deck just isn't set up to do that. And you just can never have a good attack again, pretty much. Yeah. But you're looking at like, you need at least three power before you're attacking profitably, really. Yeah, and even then, it's like you have to worry about them just racing you, just not blocking and, and just swinging with their team. You know what I mean? It's it's so hard. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. I, I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but can definitely see the power of the card. Uh, when When's draft out on Arena? That's that's when I'm going to dive in. Best of three draft is already out. I don't think the best of one draft will be out for at least another week. Yeah, yeah, ra- ranked draft is what I mean. Maybe I'll, right. maybe I'll just dive into the best of three draft. Um I will say the players are pretty bad in best of three draft since it doesn't use your ranking. So uh, you can generally get a few wins, no problem. Oh, really? Okay, sweet. Time to shark some people. No take backs. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. Block. Um, block. <laughs> it's a great phrase, isn't it? When you're just like, block? Yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the question mark on Moda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, so I think that's going to do it for us this week, right? There is no more money. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had enough of you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So. Get out of here. Uh, special announcement for next week for all of our lovely listeners. Next week is episode 100 of this wonderful podcast. Oh, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, it's a, lot of a lot more than I thought that we had done. Um, I've been doing this podcast for two years, more than two years, because we hooked that little, that little uh, hiatus when I first came to Vietnam, so... It's been going for a long time, uh, and we're still loving it every week. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. We decided to do something kind of fun and different for the episode 100, so we are going to have a very special guest on next week. I feel like I shouldn't say the name of this guest, leave it as a surprise. Also, just in case something goes wrong and we have to cancel. Yeah, yeah. let's leave it as a surprise. It's a, it's a good one, though. Yeah. I was yeah. actually yeah. very surprised that uh, this guest agreed to come on the show. Yeah. Yes. So it should be great. Tune in for that next week. You will not regret that you did. Uh, Maybe the the day before the podcast, we might put it out on Twitter or something, what's going on, because we might want to solicit some questions for this person. I also might just solicit questions through the the Irish Magic Facebook page. Who knows? We'll we'll do it uh, whatever way seems the best. And once we have clear confirmation that it's going ahead. But yeah. Get excited next week, special guests, and that will do it for us today. If you do want to get in touch with us, if you want to send in any special questions for our special guests or special questions for us, we always love getting little questions. We love getting custom cards. That's one of our favorite things to receive, uh, especially from Eamon, who does fantastic designs. Uh, you can email us, which is uh, skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. 
and Skullcrack is spelled with uh, crack as C-R-A-I-C. Uh, or you can tweet at us if that's your preferred way to get in touch. If that's easier for you, we are at Skullcrack on Twitter. And that is going to be this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh... tournament report but this time it is not from magic gathering and it's not from another card game this is from hell and back oh he's familiar with hell and back this is a an outdoor obstacle course in bray yes it's in bray um it was long yesterday i did it with work uh, this is, it's a very intense long uh you know outdoor obstacle course and uh, my body is broken in bits but i i pull myself together uh to, to, to this podcast and bring you a term report of uh, everything that has happened if you would like to hear it yes absolutely this is um okay. this is really cruel and stuff isn't it isn't hell and back like sadistic in, in terms of how difficult it is i've heard bad things before not not bad things that's not what i want to say i guess everyone who signs up for it knows what they're signing up for uh but it is like as you said extremely grueling yeah absolutely yeah yeah it was uh yeah, it was it was definitely an experience um, yeah, so guys, to start it off, you know, I started a new job a few months ago. Uh, the um, you know, people, some people you know, on my team were kind of you know, organizing this kind of back thing. I mean, you asked me to join. I'm like, well, like, you know, because it's it's a work thing. I can't say no. You know, I got I got I got to show them who's boss. Got to show them who I am. And show them what I'm capable of. Uh, I'm also, I'm also one thing I'm not capable of is uh, is long stretches of cardio. Uh, it turned out that we signed up for the 16k version of of this you know, large obstacle course. Fucking uh, hell, that's so long. It's a crazy, yeah. So um, I, I I like I, like zero experience running. I have a lot of experience in weightlifting, but not be a long stretch of cardio. So this is about a month ago. Uh, then on the case of 5K, uh, I I kind of started halfway through that app's like, program. Um, so I think like my first run was like it was, it was like, literally like three minutes of running, three, three minutes of running, five minutes of walking, alternating alternating for half an hour, and like that almost killed me. And I'm, I was thinking there's absolutely no way I would be ready in in a, a month for for something as large as this. Uh, but I kept at it. Um, well, I kept going through the program of the Couch 5K program, and eventually kind of made it up to 5K, uh, which was very, very difficult for me to do. But I did it, and as went. So the advice I gotten was, yeah, even though this race is 16K, there's lots of you know, you're 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 not running all the way through. There's lots of stops and starts. Some kind of portions you're kind of doing really steep hill walking. You're you're not running. So if you can run for 5K, you'll be fine. Um, so I was happy that I could go into this, uh, be able to run 5K, and I was like, yeah, everything's everything's gonna be okay. Uh, so I arrived at the venue, kind of got ready. Uh, this is out in oh, what's it called? It's a big, a big green area in something something house in uh, Bray, Hillmer Herber, Hillmer something house. Uh, Can't really know some, something house in 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 Bray, um, Kilrodry, Kilrodry house, Kilrodry estate in Bray. Can't you um, Friends of the podcast. Friends of the podcast. Exactly. I should, I should have got their names right. This is a. Uh, it's. Uh, on the side is also you know what they call the small sugar loaf. It's literally when you're there, get, get ready. You're looking up at this giant mountain, 
and you know there's like a hype man who's kind of getting everyone hyped up getting everybody you know jump up and down ready to start and he's like yeah see that mountain you're going to climb that twice and so like so everyone was all getting scared and hyped up but now everyone was in together there's this great sense of camaraderie and we we're ready to go and then one thing he says is all right i want everybody to raise your left hand to show me your white bracelet and i'm like i'm like well i didn't get white bracelets and everybody else is you know, holding their hand and shouting um and i turned i turned to like my teammates I'm like oh heck i i didn't get white bracelets did you and he's like oh yeah we all got them we all got them when we signed um the uh the disclaimer you know before starting then i was like oh i didn't i didn't i, I wasn't checked for that i didn't sign that so then just before like the whistle starts my last thought before going into hell is now if i didn't sign the disclaimer does that mean that if i die my family can or can't sue the company <laughs> i think it means they can that's that's kind of the my last thought uh before before i started so we all run in uh everyone's already decided so the very first thing that we go through is a an, an ice an ice bath so it's literally like a big trench dug out filled with water water where they're pouring ice cubes into and uh, kind of going halfway across this pool is like a whole load of um, whole load of tires kind of strapped together in a big kind of row. So you have to actually submerge, go under, you know, get to go down a few feet and kind of go under this kind of, kind of gap between the tires and the, and the, and the you know, bottom of the pool uh, and kind of go back up again. So you're really kind of completely submerging yourself in uh, ice cold water. And kind of everyone's kind of, everyone's ahead of, you know, we're running towards it. Everybody ahead of us is kind of screaming and laughing at Skokie because it's so cold. And then I, I just, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to jump in. Then I jumped in just to actually, the shock of the cold was just so was just, was just like absolutely incredible. Uh, it was very uh, almost like a frightening experience. And when I was under, I kind of put myself under the tires. Then when I was on the other side, there was like someone on top of me, so I couldn't get out. And uh, I'm even just like it literally just lasted for a second. But for a second, I was like, holy shit, I'm I'm gonna die. It's it's, it's this is awful. And I pulled and I got out, when I got out, and um, there was still like a water in my face. So I wasn't and because it was so cold. When I was standing out of the water, my eyes were so close. I still wasn't even sure if I was over the surface yet. And like I'm dead, and like everybody's kind of laughing. So you kind of see kind of the divide between people who are kind of laughing, by each other, and kind of getting on, keep on running. Where there's a few people like me who are just kind of like standing still, just being like, "Holy shit!" I think I just had a hear that experience. Uh, this that was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> then uh, after that, kind of speak, we, we, our team kind of got together. You know, kind of hold yourselves up, we start running. So they got at this point, you know, the adrenaline's going high. Uh, we're going to the first stretch. It's like a big long stretch of the whole lot of different kind of trenches, but kind of mounds. And there's like kind of a gap between the mounds that's kind of, you know, it's kind of awkward kind of go, go down and up a mound, but you can, kind of, you can kind of jump and hop from one to the other. So, and there's like, it's, there's like about 20 of these in a row. So kind of everyone's kind of running across it. And because, so it's one of those things that, yeah, you can kind of like you know, climb and you can kind of climb between each one or you can kind of skip and hop across each one kind of without stopping like uh, Abe in Abe's Odyssey, uh, which naturally is what I thought when I saw it. And I'm like, oh, I can, I can, I can just be like Abe from Abe's Odyssey. Then I just ran and started hopping across each one, though, just on my head going, yo, 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 as I was jumping across each one. But then, as only when I got to the end, I realized that doing that was exerted a lot of energy, and I was absolutely exhausted just after doing that. Um, then your team kind of, you know, kind of got together again, and we started running. And then, so we had a, a, a short stretch of like about 2K running, and like that, like that between everything I'd gone through already, uh, I just felt absolutely exhausted. I felt completely dehydrated. I felt, I, was, I felt like uh, I couldn't go on anymore. And as we're running, also, the clothes I'm wearing, and because I got, you know, all, all the clothes you're going to wear are without room. So I had like a really old pair of, um, really old pair of shorts. I had. I th- I'm pretty sure I had these shorts since I was an actual child. I'm pretty sure they're like Manchester United shorts that I'm pretty sure my mother bought me, you know, back when Manchester United were good. So that's, that's how, how how old these shorts were. So I was wearing those, but the elastic in them had gone. So as I'm running, you know, these shorts keep on sitting down and, you know, exposing, exposing everything to, to everyone. 
and I'm running and trying to pull these parts up with one hand, but then because the train you're running on is like running through a forest, so the train is kind of difficult. So you really do need both hands to kind of keep yourself balanced as you're running. Um, so then, like at one point, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure I just can't, I just can't do this anymore because also I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm dehydrated, and uh, you know my trousers are falling down. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, because of this mortal malfunction, I probably have a very, you know, a dignified way to uh, eject myself from from this event and go home and, uh, you know, have some beers and play some gold smear matches. Uh, so as our team regroups, uh, you know, I say to my team, oh, you know, I, I, you know my shorts are falling down, I don't know, like, I can't run with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to say, oh, I think I have to, you know, I have to quit. And then uh, <laughs> a girl on the team says, oh, you can use, you can use this bobbin or this kind of, yeah, a bobbin that's kind of like a, it's a really kind of thin bobbin, like an elastic band. He says, oh, you can take this, you know, you know scrunch up um, some of the material at, you know, at your waist and tie this around so it'll be tight. And uh, this was a very elegant and, and great solution. And although I was very grateful for my, my teammate giving me this, I was also, you know, deep down, kind of kind of disappointed that I no longer had this out uh, of, of my work on function to get out of this event. So we start running again, and I got five out. So I literally, I just, yeah, so we're running again, we come across like it's a, this one, you know, there's all sorts of stuff for kind of to, to kind of climbing over, jumping under, a uh, whole lot of kind of you know, uh, kind of large tree trunks are climbing over and jumping over. Uh, at one point, we come to like it's a like a, a net that's kind of, kind of close to the ground. It's a very kind of long stretch of, of kind of rough area where you have to kind of crawl like kind of across your stomach. You got to like you know, be like solid steak and uh, you're know, going across it. And it was at this point, I was just like barely so much energy just going for, like we would inch by inch you know, under this uh, under this kind of neck thing that. I'm like, and then if I'm like halfway through, like look ahead of me, I see I'm nowhere near your side. Uh, there's people around me kind of crawling through and I'm just like, I, I just have to give up. I, I think uh, I've already gone too far. I think I've got to throw the tail. So I barely, I barely make it through, come back out again. Um, you know, I'm just completely just exhausted, really dehydrated and like, I, I think I, I can't go anymore. Um, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm you're literally about to say something that would say, you know what, I'll just throw a little bit. I know that, so we're about 2.5K now. I know there's a water station at 5K. And I guess another thing that's quite important is uh, we signed up for the 16K version, but there also was an option for 8K. So what I was told going in was that at some point there would be like split in the in the road between, let's say, you know, at one point there would be, you know, one direction go to you know, a split, one fork, one direction for you know, the 8K uh, circuit, another one for the 16K circuit. So there would be a point where you can decide which one to do. So even though I signed up for 16K, if I wanted to, I could you know, do eight and that would be, that'd be fine. And so... Yeah, so, you know, so I decided to just keep going until I get to this uh, water station, the 5K mark that as I'm running, I'm like feeling, you know, like I can't go on anymore. But then something amazing happens. There's there's like a stream or so. At this point, we're kind of coming up towards mountains. Um, you're going to go a very kind of hilly train. There's a stream that everyone's running through. So as I run through it, so my foot goes into the stream. Uh, it's just, you know, cold water. Just, you know, immediately just soaks through my my shitty shoes and my shitty socks. And it hits, hits my foot. And then I just immediately feel as if I've been totally refreshed by by this water touching my skin. And it's like, it's like I've absorbed the moisture through my feet and I have now become hydrated again. I feel all my, all my weakness, the pain I'm feeling leaves my body. Uh, and I'm like, I now generated, and I, can, I can continue to run. Uh, I think it's evident what happened was some kind of, you know, planeswalker or X-Men kind of thing where, you know, because I was so close to death, I gained this superpower to be able to drink water through my feet, uh, which, is, which is apparently what I've done. I began drinking water through my feet as we're literally a stream. And uh, I completely got rehydrated again. Um, so then after that, we have, uh, after that, the kind of running kind of stops at this point. We're going up a really kind of, it's like really, really steep uh, hill climb uh, where we're all given like a log to carry. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of amusing seeing like, you know, a row of like basically uh, about a hundred people in like a single, in single file, all carrying logs up this uh, kind of thin, 
um, on a hill, hilly route. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like lemmings or something and everyone's kind of walking very slowly. So for this point, for the next while, we're just kind of walking very slowly, kind of climbing up this hill. So it, it, was, it was, that was a way to kind of get you know, revitalized. Uh, I get to the water station. So, you know, the water station is like, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. Um, you know, I'm drinking the water. Uh, I'm kind of feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm back in this again. I probably will just, you know, I'll probably quit at AK. Uh, so at this point, we haven't seen this fork yet. The fork I was promised to see. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, but I'm thinking, you know what? I can, I'll, I'll, I'll keep, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, the course is very different this year. Maybe by the time we get to the AK mark, you know, there'll be a way to, 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 to stop and get out. Um, so I'm thinking, you know what? I'm at 5K. I'll just keep going to the AK. So keep on going. And then, so then at one point, you know, we were running, but just, there, there have been signs kind of marking, marking the points and saying, you know, you're on 1K, you're on 2K. Uh, for a while, there's no signs, so we don't know how far we've gone. We're going through a whole lot of other obstacles. Um, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, any minute there, we're going to see something to indicate either, you know, AK mark where I can, I can you know, throw the tail in and stop or... We'll come to like a um yeah like a fork where you can decide what to do. Uh, so then at one point I turn one corner and I see a sign that that brings me uh, a lot of despair. I'm like I I you know fall to my knees uh, like um like yeah what's his name Charles Heston in at the end of Planet of the Apes uh, or Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes. Um, I'm like I'm just go despairing to this guy because I come across a sign that says nine k. And it turns out that there's no option to stop at AK. It's, it's all just one route now. And uh, there's no way, there's no way to, there's nothing I can do but keep going. And I think it was Vincent Churchill who said, when you're going through hell, you gotta, you gotta keep going. Uh, also, after he said that, he, he also said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna found the Black and Tans because he, he was not a good person. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, at this point, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just could have to keep on going. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's another water station close ahead, so I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine once I get to that. You know, I tried a 10k mark, so we're running. Uh, you know, kind of, and now we're kind of running through, running through a forest now. Um, at one point, I see like a big group of people all bunched together, and I see someone like a like a, a volunteer who's kind of wearing the the, the helmet back uniform, right? Head helmet back kind of volunteer here, kind of uh, handing you know, with a bag in in her hand and handing you know these things out to people. I'm like, oh my god, thank God, it's another water station. I'm like, I'm saved, I'm saved. Then as I get closer, I realize with more horror. That this was not a water station. Well, she's handing out to people were kind of these like wooden pegs, because uh, the next obstacle was like basically a um, like a basically a steep wall with holes in it, and you got to you know, use the pegs to climb up the wall, like um, you know, like like someone climbing a wall with pegs. Uh, and that was so instead of a water station, it turned out to be just another very difficult obstacle, uh, and then I you know, barely got through that. So yeah, there's yeah, basically yeah, race keeps going. Um, for a lot, so for a lot, like, like a lot of the obstacles are pretty tough, but there's a real kind of sense that everybody's there to help each other, even though it's very, very challenging. It's not competitive. Everyone's just trying to get you, to get you, get through, get to the other side. There's a great kind of sense of camaraderie you know, with everybody. Everyone's kind of helping each other on walls. Everybody's you know, picking each other up. Uh, at one point, we come to like a very, very, a very, very tall wall to climb over, uh, which you know, a few people, two people give me a boost over. At this point, yeah, like a lot of it is just kind of strangers helping each other. Um, so it's like it's about a ten foot wall. I climb up to the top of it on the other side of the wall. It's like a steep drop. Uh, but like though with uh, with hay bales to break your fall, so some people are kind of like you know turning around, hanging off, uh, you know hanging from the other side as well, and just dropping like, a few feet. But I'm thinking like, oh, that that takes a lot of energy. So I just I'll, I'll, I'll just jump down, I'll be fine. Um, uh, that's probably the best option. So so I jump down onto this hay bale, um, which will be fine. But then because I've I've jumped from so high, when I when I land the hay bale, I actually just bounce up in the air and then I land face first into a big pile of mud. Uh, it was I'm sure it was very comical. The people laughed, but I'm sure they're really laughing because it looked comical. Uh, so, but that was really my only kind of you know, bad fall. I just get up and, and you know keep on going. So, as we're getting closer towards the end, one one of the last kind of big obstacles is a. It's basically it's it's a running through this forest, but 
at one point you become there's like basically a whole load of um like really really deep mud that you have to kind of get across through a rope people are kind of wading through this mud it's like really really thick it's up to the waist of most people and it's kind of something every time um like it's kind of playing on everyone's every 90s babies every 90s kids 90s kids in age fear or quicksand uh as everyone's kind of wading through this mud like a lot of people are getting like really really stuck like at one point there's like one guy who's by himself uh kind of you know, kind of in the middle of this kind of big big um swamp and he completely does something up to his waist and he's like i can't get out help me then everyone's like well we can't go over and help you because because uh we'll just get stuck as well and uh, it's very pretty frightening if you're in that position and then uh we're kind of shouting at him kind of telling him what to do and we say oh if you not if you, you need to take your shoe off you need to you know, take your 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 foot out of your shoe and get it that way and he says oh yeah but then i'll lose you then i'll lose my shoe then we said oh well you can you know you can do that and then try to reach in uh you know, with your hands and take your shoe out with both hands uh, that way so then that worked he eventually got out uh so at this point there was like a lot of people kind of helping each other out some people getting some people getting like horrifically stuck and a few people are panicking uh you know there's something more panicking than being stuck uh in something like that and uh you're you're thinking oh maybe maybe there's no way out uh but we kept on going and then after that kind of big muddy swampy part we kind of came back to kind of some more flat running and then it was really kind of coming towards the end it's kind of interesting that you know, for so much of it you're kind of by yourself but everybody else is then towards the last for the last like two kilometers you're kind of back into like the main area where it's almost like a festival where there's lots of people people kind of there cheering you on taking photographs um you know kind of stands and music and stuff um but then eventually uh from, from that point on it was just kind of yeah you know plain running and eventually i i got to the end and i i won the hell and back it's it's unfortunate nothing very interesting happened during the last stretch because that would end the story with a climax but nothing Nothing really more happened. We just kept on running, and then we got to the end. Uh, I don't think I left anything out, but that's my, my hell back experience. Some say he's still running to this day. <laughs> exactly. It was. It was. Uh, yeah. It was. It was a great event. It was actually. It was only. It was because it's such a large course and has so many people involved. It really kind of just like blew my mind as as like the actual, just the amount of planning and preparation that would have to go in. Um. Like. Uh. Yeah. Because it must be so hard to communicate from different areas or kind of bring resources from one area to another uh it was really it was really 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 well done uh it was for it was for charity it was for to get on sale it was for a good cause i think ooh, i don't know exactly what the good cause was i'm wearing a t-shirt now uh hell and back i made it through uh londis so it's an aid of londis <laughs> uh, i think they need the help to be fair their deli is not great <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh i'm back in aid of londis um, but yeah, that is something that I definitely recommend doing. Uh, it was it was very well. Was it a fun experience? It was something that was fun when I finished it, but certainly wasn't fun during it. Uh, when I'm, it was yeah, it was it was it was a great day. When I, the, the weather held up, the weather held up for the most part uh, because we had you know, we had a storm the last few days, so uh, the you know the, the ground was very very mucky, very muddy. Uh, I got my clothes were just completely destroyed. Everyone's clothes was were completely destroyed. Um, because, you know, despite it being so like I said, being so torturous and being so harsh. Uh, it was really the people that made it, you know. It was like, uh, because you know, at one point, kind of, I, I met a group of lads on the way in, uh, and then we kind of started at the same time. Like every so often, you know, different months stretch forth, I just see them. We're like, oh, we didn't even know each other's names. We're just like, oh, it's you. And then kind of we ended up finishing like around the same time. Uh, it took about five hours altogether, about five and a half hours. Uh, so it's very, very long. Uh, but it was kind of great to kind of you keep, you keep on seeing these faces every now and then that you recognize. Uh, and it was really a, a great wholesome experience. Um, because you could say. That the real hell and back was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> you could also say that you went on a very circuitous route. Oh my god. Oh my god, very good. 
Yes. That's the end. Bye. Bye. Bye.